This podcast is offered to you by Zen Center North Shore on the web at www.zencenternorthshore.org. This program is made possible by donations from listeners like you. We have it facing this way for now, but pretty soon we'll swing it around because I do want to say just a few things. Thank you. And then I'd really love it if. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, If uh, you might want to say something too, you know, and of course. I don't think any of us met Suzuki Roshi in person, but I feel like we just did. There was a moment in the ceremony, I don't know if you could hear it, I was like, this is my idea of a good time. I looked over at him and I thought, yeah, you know, here we are. The ceremony, it may be really weird. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's kind of cool. You know, we just chanted all in Japanese. But mostly, what's most important, I think, the quality is the sincerity of it. And I felt the sincerity. I think we might get a chance to feel sincerity, especially when things are kind of weird. And we show up anyway, willingly. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sorry we haven't found a way on Zoom to do this, but... I just want to say it makes me so happy. I love to see you up at the altar. I love to see you standing at the altar. It makes me feel like, yes, this is Buddhism Buddhism in America. This is the unfolding of Zen. Of coming closer, you know, truly. We talk about intimacy all the time in Zen, but it could still be an intellectual thought, you know, a concept. But this is really about coming up close and involving your own body, touching your body with the sandalwood chip, incense, and seeing Suzuki Roshi's face. This is about relationship. And I feel so close with him this morning. I feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude, not from a distance, but that arises out of relationship. How we meet each other and support each other and encourage each other just by living our lives. So, um, living our lives with some intention, maybe from the heart, through repetition, meaning showing up over and over again for each other, for ourselves, for the whole world. So I'm feeling all of these things, and I'm also feeling how we've been going up to the altar quite a bit lately, offering incense. It's a really important practice. I'm thinking about my own sister who died in the last year, and the importance of remembering. You know, remembering beyond birth and death, remembering beyond, you know, like who's here? How is it that Suzuki Roshi's not here, even though he died in 1971? There's a way in which he is absolutely still here supporting us and encouraging us to 
um, go deeper as individuals and communally as a Sangha in his lineage. We would not be here. None of us would be here right now if it weren't for him. Thank you. So, um, memorials. Yeah, we've been talking about this lately. Remembering, remembering, oh, not that one. Where's my other piece of paper? I have them hidden. <laughs> here we go. Um, oh, so before I forget and before time goes on too long and I start talking, 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 what I'm hoping is if we could go around in the circle, in the circle, and if you would say your name and then something, either, you know, if you've connected with Shunryu Suzuki Roshi through his teachings, and if you've been in the Thursday night class, you have been connecting with his teachings. And uh, because what we've been studying on Thursday nights is the harmony of difference and equality, the same chant we just did. And we, we studied it just now, but in a totally different way. It's like another window kind of blew open. <laughs> it wasn't just like this, it kind of blew open. That was kind of wild, right? Or was it? <laughs> um. I appreciate so much the opportunity to express in a totally different way. And for those in this room who maybe don't speak English as a first language, you know, I, I see this as kind of a ground level of, of, you know, our bumbling along in Japanese. Yesterday, I um, Zoomed with my cousin Carolina in the Azores. I hadn't seen her since 1997. And I was thinking about how, so that the Azores are Portuguese islands. My last name is very Portuguese, Amaral. My grandfather, paternal grandfather was born there. And so, um, you know, I reached out to her yesterday morning. I just, it was her birthday, early November. And I, I was just like, you know, how are you? And I'd love to see you. And and I think she was mad at me back in 2002. <laughs> it was the last time I felt that she had kind of didn't want anything more to do with me. It's complicated around the diaspora of Portuguese people, you know, leaving and coming here. There's a divide between those who stayed and those who came here. And I had visited them twice. <laughs> I know I'm all over. <laughs> I visited them twice back in the 90s, and the last piece I created as a dancer was there. It was around ancestry, and this was before I started Zen practice. The last piece I choreographed as a dancer in San Francisco before showing up at San Francisco Zen Center was a piece on ancestry because I didn't want to, I, I didn't understand what American was and is. I wanted to feel something deeper. It's not you know, apart from American, but isn't just American. And so I went there a couple times and they re it's a big deal when you go back to the homeland. It's a big deal if they let you in. <laughs> Irish people, apparently, someone told me an Irish person, and I, my family has Irish ancestry too, 
someone showed up in Ireland, knocked on the door of their long lost cousins and they opened the door and they said, hi, I'm your cousin from America. And they slammed the door shut on them. So it doesn't always work out like, you know, where you can actually be in relationship. But in this case it did, except I think they felt that I, I opened a door and then I, I, I didn't keep it open or I didn't stay inside or something. Anyway, while I was at Tassajara, she got married and she invited me to the wedding and I didn't feel like I could leave the monastery. So that was back in 2001 or two. And so this was the first time we had contact. And so as we're on, on um, you know, Messenger or WhatsApp or whatever, she, was, she said, do you sp still speak Spanish? And I said, yes, I do. And when I was there, the language we were speaking was Portugalish. That's what we called it. Because <laughs> I don't really speak Portuguese, although I could sort of find my way there. Um, and we, but we created a way to talk with each other. And yesterday on Zoom with her five-year-old daughter, we were speaking English. And I really appreciated that. And it made me think about the ceremony this morning. So here's the point. That some people ask, well, why? Why do you chant in Japanese? You know, why do you do that? It's, is it stupid? <laughs> you know, is it too weird? Is it not helpful? Is it too off-putting? No. And we will keep chanting in Japanese at certain times because that's part of our ancestry. That's where we come from. And I'm including you in that. It's a way of, I feel, as I was thinking about this with my cousin, of meeting Suzuki Roshi. He spent, uh, let's see, how long did he spend? He arrived in 1959 in San Francisco. And until he died in 1971, he was speaking his English, which was not very comprehensible, I think. <laughs> in terms of words, but of course, the meaning isn't just in the words. It's a different experience if you don't understand the words, but it doesn't mean there isn't something being transmitted, of course, because here we are. And so I just feel like we're making extra effort today to meet Suzuki Roshi in his own language, and that's very touching to me. It reminds me of Maira, this woman named Maira from Nicaragua. Way back, when was it? I don't know. It was after I left Tassajara. I was working in the front office. It was a Saturday. It was a Dharma talk, you know, a big, big day, big public day. And there were lots of people there. And um, the front office at City Center, some of you know, has a little window that opens. <laughs> and you can stand in the window and... But it's a window, you know, and then the door's over there. And then this woman um, appeared and it's, you know, very crowded there and still a lot of white people, a lot of, you know, just English speaking people. I think it's changing, but back then. And, um, and, and I always try to approach this sen sensitively, not assuming, but um, she, she seemed kind of shy. She appeared before the window and I could hear her accent. And so I went out the door and I came around and I said, I said, bienvenida. And she burst into tears. And since then I have felt, and it's not just speaking in other languages. We don't just say welcome. We have to do welcome. 
We have to do welcome. What is it to meet someone? If you speak another language and they let you, <laughs> you know, um, it's amazing what shifts in trying to meet someone. So I always remember that. And then furthermore, okay, here's how I was met at a certain, po at a certain point around this, you know, because it's not just language, it's also culture. How much of this is Japanese cultural baggage that we're pulling along with us? I know this is a big topic. And how much of it is Zen religious, religious inquiry and practice and training and meeting? So when I was Shuso, when I was head student at City Center, um, that conversation was up about should we chant in Japanese? Or should we just, should we drop that? And should we just chant in English? Kind of what are we doing? You know, is it time for us to, to assert something that's more strictly American? Um, and I had a moment where I was standing outside the Zendo, just like today, being Kokyo, there's something about ritual, and I've told you guys this, and so maybe you experienced it today. <laughs> when I'm Kokio, I don't know what happens. I start to vibrate or something, and all this energy. People couldn't really stand too close to me when I was Kokio in the monastery, leading the chanting. I don't know. Something happens. And that's why I appreciate ritual so much. Something happens in my body. It's super stimulated. You know, my eyes land on the picture of Suzuki Roshi. I'm smelling the incense. There's just a whole experience. I've been trying to talk about this lately at the, you know, various schools that I'm going to around this surround of Zen. You know, it's not, I mean, I think the secularized expressions of Buddhism tend to be more psychological, right? And it includes psychology. There's a whole Buddhist psychology, but there's also something else that ritual touches, which is around you, your actual life, your actual body, your, actually, your actual mind. When you come up here to offer incense, and thank you all for doing it, um, in a way it's offering incense to Suzuki Roshi, but it's also offering incense to all those you've lost, to the fact of death in our life. And there's an invitation to be with this fact of loss in an awakened way. Again, not as a, even when I say that, those are kind of pretty words, right? Ah, write that down in an awakened way. What does that mean to really let it in that this is actually your life that's happening right now? So when I was standing outside the Zendo, I was filled, filled with so much performance anxiety, 
I mean, before going on stage as a dancer, it's an intense experience. The adrenaline's flowing, you know? It's really like I'm alive. And it would be helpful to shift it into the, the attitude of this is an offering. This is me living my life right now and sharing. Like being at a party. <laughs> being together and sharing the sweetness of being alive together. I was standing outside the zendo. The ceremony was the shuso invitation. And the shuso is standing outside. Everybody else is in the zendo. And then I'm going to go in formally, very formally. And I have all these lines that I have to say. They're very formal. And I had to memorize them and stuff. And there's 60 monks in there. And it's very intense. And so I'm standing out there by myself. And in that state of uh, fear, and I looked up, because I don't know if some of you who went there in the basement next to the Densho and the Han, you know, the basement before going into the Zendo, there's a side door, and over there to that side is the library, or it used to be the library, the sweet little library. And as I looked up, somehow it caught my eye. There used to be, I don't know if it's still there, a little calligraphy that says library <laughs> on it in Japanese. Now, it might feel a little random, but when my eyes landed on that, I remembered I'm part of a lineage, Japanese lineage, Chinese lineage, Indian lineage, men in the lineage, women in the lineage. And I felt accompanied through and through. So when I walked in that zendo, all the ancestors walked in with me. All of this is about taking our place. It's about belonging. The showing up is about belonging. And maybe more, you know, a little bit before that, it's simply about not alone. Totally accompanied. Always. So what we just chanted, what I chanted, I mean, what we all just chanted together, the harmony of difference and equality, it is what we've been studying. It's all about relationship. If we can see things relationally, if we can see each other from the point of view of relationship and from our activity, every single action, like just holding this paper as activity. You know, I, I kind of, Rob, if I could say, when you handed me the little envelope this morning, like that little envelope, whole worlds are there, you know, holding it with the relationship. It's like, it's not just an envelope and it's not even just whatever's in the envelope. It's our whole life. Everything is there. That's what we're talking about. There's so many ways to talk about this. Respect, enjoyment, connection not getting stuck in our heads. So the opposite of anxiety, the opposite of neurosis. That's what we just chanted. <laughs> and then what I chanted in that echo, I just wanted to say it, the pure Dharmakaya never appears nor disappears. The power of Buddha's great vows reveals coming and going, birth and death. It's happening. Impermanence. May the Buddha 
through his compassion, illuminate these words of dedication. And then we say, you know, we name Shunryu, Shogaku Shunryu, but this is what we're, we're honoring him today. Specifically, we're keeping him in our hearts. We're saying thank you with our whole body. And then we say, may he show his compassion to beings in the six realms and the three worlds, showing compassion to everyone everywhere. And then we say, remember this declining world. Bring forth the spring of the Udambara flower. Illuminate the past and present, uh, the past and present, and may the teachings of this school, this lineage, go on endlessly. They have a chance to go on endlessly, but it's up to us to carry them on. There's nothing that's outside us. We're implicated here. We're in relationship. This beautiful practice, this practice of healing and this practice of um, being in truth, walking, walking the path of peace requires us and our engagement just like we just did today. Just that, over and over. Um, so in a minute before going around, <laughs> and anything that you'd like to say, maybe it's something about what I'm saying, maybe it's like, say what? <laughs> I don't understand anything you've said. That's called being here, in truth. That's okay. You know, the, the, did you hear that the most Googled word this year, according, and so Merriam-Webster has, nominates every year, the word of the year. Do you know what it is? Has anybody heard? What are your news sources? <laughs> it's all over NPR. <laughs> Authentic. Authentic. So I'm asking you for an authentic response. You don't have to make something up. You don't have to try to impress anybody. Just what does it mean for you to be here right now to have offered this ceremony? If no one has anything to say, I will pass this book around and each one of you maybe will randomly open to something. Once Suzuki was asked what the difference is between sitting sazen on the floor and in a chair, he said, the only difference is the legs, <laughs> the chair, <laughs> and maybe your legs too, <laughs> if you can't stand up after you've been sitting for half an hour. <laughs> uh, so this is, let me just say, this is a book called Zen is Right Now. It's the sequel to Zen is Right Here. This is just the first book that my eyes landed on yesterday when I was thinking about what book to bring in. It's the first one I pulled off the shelf. This is by um, David Chadwick. Zen is Right Here is by David Chadwick. Um, Crooked Cucumber is by David Chadwick. Thank You and Okay. Something about the story of a Zen failure in Japan. That's also by David Chadwick. <laughs> um, he, was, he is. He is. He's with us. I just emailed him this morning in Bali to thank him because I knew I'd be reading from this book. 
David Chadwick was a student, is a student of Suzuki Roshi, was very close with him, is very close with him, and is um, collecting all the stories around Suzuki Roshi, the archives, the teachings, the recordings of Suzuki Roshi, where we can hardly understand what he's saying. Um, but David Chadwick is, you know, recording all that so that we can, you know, decipher for ourselves what was happening back in the 60s when Suzuki Roshi met these San Francisco hippies and something gelled and we're still talking about him today. And it was a mutual meeting from what I gather that just as enamored and enchanted as the hippies were of him, he was of them because he and he talks about this, I never met him, but he talks about the spirit of practitioners. Even though they were long haired and maybe smelly <laughs> and were hardly wearing anything in the Zendo, he could see their beginner's mind. And it really refreshed his own practice. People say that his Dharma completely blossomed in America. And I, my favorite quote of his was when someone asked him, some of the hippies asked him about drugs or psychedelics or something, he said something like, stick with me and you'll be super hippie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. Is that enough to prime the pump? Do you guys, are you feeling anything? Can we go around? Maybe context, just one last thing to contextualize him in our lineage. So I received Dharma transmission from Zenke Blanche Hartman and she practiced with Suzuki Roshi, but she didn't receive Dharma transmission with him. He only gave Dharma transmission to one person, Richard Baker, one American person. And Richard Baker then sort of has a kind of a sublineage. There's two branching streams are everywhere, you know, there are two branching streams, just like there are two branching streams after Shakyamuni. And that was the big one. And we express it here in the space. One of the streams is um, the Mahayana, the Bodhisattva way, that's us. The Zen tradition is in that. And then the other stream is the Theravada, which is this physical space was built and is inhabited by a Vipassana, a group from that lineage, from the insight meditation lineage. So that was the first branching stream. And then there were several more. And then Suzuki Roshi arrived at San Francisco Zen Center in 1959. He died of cancer in 1971. He worked as hard as he could and went as fast as he can, <laughs> you know, offering the precepts to people and teaching, teaching, teaching. And um, some people think, I don't know, did he die too soon? I don't know. I think things play out the way they play out. His Dharma heir, Richard Baker, was very young when he received transmission. And it was just before Suzuki Roshi died. So it would have been around this time of year in 1971. Uh, the story goes that somehow this is hitting me when Suzuki Roshi gave 
the staff to Richard Baker. I don't know if it was in that moment. I don't know if I'm embellishing right now, but this happened at, at a certain point, And I imagine it as him giving them the staff and saying, I'm very sorry for what I'm about to do to you. Baker Roshi, who's still alive, and this is being recorded, and I have met Baker Roshi, but I've never had a conversation one-on-one -on -one with him. I feel like I understand him. And Darlene and I, my teacher, have talked about him. Darlene also has died, but we would talk about him because I relate to Baker Roshi. <laughs> and I, I feel, and Dar maybe that this came from Darlene, that the biggest problem with Baker Roshi, because there was a scandal, there was a big scandal with Baker Roshi and a lot of people at San Francisco Zen Center got really mad at him and kicked him out around 1982, 83. Um, but the issue, and maybe Suzuki Roshi knew this, was that Baker Roshi did not have any peers. There was no accountability. And we have learned from that. I feel like we have learned from that and we will continue to learn from that the importance of peer accountability in sanghas. And that's why the precepts study are in groups. You study with each other. You're holding each other accountable. And finding different ways to have accountability. Because left to our own devices, you know, the enlightened aspect of Baker Roshi's charisma is that here we are today. <laughs> he was the one who found Tassahara. He's the one who found Greek Gulch. He's the one who made it all happen. We are indebted to him because of his energy and his charisma. Yeah, he was hanging out with Linda Ronstadt and Jerry Brown and <laughs> Thich Nhat Hanh and lots of exciting people. And I think it was a heady time in the mid to late 70s and early 80s. And I think it might've gone to his head a little bit, power. Um, so that's one. <laughs> then the other is, which is our lineage. <laughs> and I don't mean to distance myself from Baker Roshi at all. You know, his lineage is Reb and Linda Ruth and people I love and who are also kind of in our lineage because I trained with them at Tassahara too. But, here, it's Mel Weitzman. So Suzuki Roshi gave Dharma transmission to his son, Huitsu Roshi, who's still alive and who's wonderful. And I was thinking about Huitsu this morning because he's all about energy. He's very energetic. He's like, like, is it an atom? But all that energy is packed in. That's why he's atomic. <laughs> Huitsu, this is our lineage. <laughs> And Huitsu then gave Dharma transmission to Mel Weitzman, Sojin Mel Weitzman, the abbot of Berkeley Zen Center, who died and who, who will honor next month. And then Huitsu, Huitsu gave Dharma transmission, Dharma transmission to Blanche, Blanche to me. And then we'll see who among you is next. <laughs> I, uh, I hope it happens. I believe it will happen. Okay, so that's transmission, but it's warm hand to warm hand relationship. And by the way, the teacher-student relationship is known as, you know, something like twining vines or twisting vines, ancient twisted karma. Here we are in it. 
where it's the dark and the light, that's what I see in like a nest, like a rat's nest <laughs> or a beaver, a beaver nest. What do they call those? A beaver lodges. home? Yes. <laughs> the Audubon speaks. They're lodges? Lodges. Yeah. You know what those look like, right? They're all like crisscrossed. In harmony of difference and equality, Sandokai is all about light and dark. You all have been talking about it in class, light and dark. My name, Myozen, Hoen Myozen, is all about light and dark. Hoen means Dharma blaze. A blaze is a massive fire that it does light up the sky, but it also casts shadows. <laughs> There's a lot of light and dark in there. And that's the teacher-student relationship, light and dark. Some things are happening. Oh yeah, I see what's going on. Some things you don't know what's going on. You're in the dark together. It's not necessarily discernible, but feeling our way together. And emotionally, it can be problematic. I have been feeling lately, what is it? About trust around racial justice work. But it's across the board true. Let's not say, trust me, <laughs> or I trust you. Let's not even say that. Let's allow trust to be forged over time in that light and dark. You know, let's not make it a concept. Let's give ourselves a chance to experience it through the body within the light and dark. That's where it's trustworthy. I don't know if any of this makes sense. Sometimes I feel like to some of you, that might make sense. That's the light. To some of you for whom that doesn't make sense, that's the dark. <laughs> Don't worry about it. That's different from saying, trust me. <laughs> Don't worry about it and still engage. Okay, it's time to go around. We've got a busy morning ahead. It's time to go around. And uh, let me swing you guys around to say hello. <laughs> and here's where I disappear, so I become the disembodied voice for people on Zoom. But, um, and if you feel like you're feeling shy and you don't know what to say and you'd rather read from the book, we'll pass it around. Okay, these are just vignettes, vignettes that uh, David Chadwick recorded. But otherwise, let's take, let's take a moment. Please don't talk as long as I just have. <laughs> just maybe a sentence or a paragraph. Anything that you'd like to say to honor Suzuki Roshi, to honor ancestors, to honor your, uh, your own being here today, your own engagement, anything at all that you'd like to say. Um, so now, let's start over here. Hello. say <laughs> here. Um, I had talked about this, I think, during class and later in Dokusan, but um, from the Branching Streams book on the Sandra Kai we've been reading in the Thursday night class, the very last paragraph that we were talking about, and I can't remember what leads up to this like word for word, but basically it ends with like we're going on and on and on, just like that practice intention, but it also feels very much like lineage as as well. And so like hearing those words, um, from Suzuki Roshi and then like this just like feels very much like that kind of continuation and feels very booing, booing um, and encouraging just to go on and on and on. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hello, my name's Brett. Uh, I Suzuki Roshi. I remember last year when we did the ceremony. Still pretty new. I hadn't come on Sundays really much. Um, so it was like really new. The Suzuki who? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, um, you know, in that year, just reading the crooked cucumber for me, really, just brought, brought the teaching and Suzuki Roshi and the history and the lineage to life for me. And uh, um, since then, I've seen much more. Just, uh, I don't know, for me, it's just really brings everything to life. And uh, mm. I was talking to Ken before because we might have a discussion some point with somebody about women in Buddhism and <laughs> I had mentioned that, that that was that's you know I don't know I feel like that's America's greatest contribution to Buddhism and Suzuki Roshi I mean men and women you know live together and practice together as equals and really just I just can't see this moment so thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Patricio. Um, I live in Beverly. I'm originally from Ecuador. Uh, I really relate to what you were mentioning about ancestry and mm -hmm. the lineage and things like that in terms of you know, culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, I've been living here in the States. I lived in the States back in when I was in college here and then I went back uh, uh, one year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so with my family, um, and of course, I'm, I'm uh, very proud of my culture, of my ancestry, so, so I relate a lot to, to what you mentioned. Yeah. So just um, touched, I'm very joyful of being here. It's been a very long time since I read Suzuki Roshi, so I think it's time to revisit. <laughs> <laughs> you have one more chance Thursday night class, it's our last class. <laughs> uh, I'm Pete. Um, I think I read, I picked up Suzuki Roshi's book, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, uh, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I wondered uh, where I could get connected to more of that kind of stuff. Um, eventually, I got connected to some uh, Tibetan Buddhist stuff in Vermont. And uh, I'm not sure how many years ago it was, John, uh, in Marblehead. <laughs> I got connected uh, with your practice. So I'm uh, glad to finally get back to Suzuki Roshi again uh, 40 years later. Of um, mm. teachers on it, mm. 
and I actually had a picture of Sisyphe Roger then, even though I had a, um, no formal connection to the language or the, the school. So it's interesting to see them up here today as well. So, thank you. My name is John. Um, similar to Pete, I read Semi Beginner's Mind in 1970-something. <laughs> and um, and um, it meant a lot to me, and I, um, the things that I re remember, um, especially is um, that he's in bed is with his wife, and um, and um, they said, well, something about what is enlightenment or something like that, and she says. Well, he can't tell you because he doesn't have it. <laughs> and, uh, just the idea that he's he was so he was so um, sick with cancer and just this joyful presence of, uh, of uh, and like what you said, kindness. Um, mm. It comes it comes across especially in that picture. That's a it's a, it's a beautiful picture. And. Uh, Looks like I'm stuck in this lineage right now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to give any backstory on that? <laughs> or you want to just let it be? No, I, I, I've been stuck in a lot of <laughs> But this one is it's working for me. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Charlotte. Um, I'm doing the Women in Buddhism project. Um, <laughs> thanks for having me here today. Um, I'm a senior in college at Boston University, so I came down this morning. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, like especially in high school, my dad would always talk about beginner's mind, and I'd always be like, what is that? You know, I was curious about it. Um, and I started kind of getting into Buddhism in college and slowly reading about it and decided to declare it a minor and stuff. But I think every day I try to wake up and remember. Impermanence and always treat everything like as if you're seeing it for the first time. Good morning, everyone. I've been up since 4 a.m. <laughs> in sleep. I was kind of uh, anxious or or unsure what's going to happen today. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why. But the funny thing is that I, I recently discovered the website called Lions Roar. Yeah. And um, I was reading the page and everything, and somewhere along the way it says if you don't read anything else about Zen Buddhism, you need to read Beginner's Mind. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize until I got here that this was the ceremony for that gentleman who wrote the book. Oh. So I was very, very surprised by that. Okay. And uh, I'm coming, I'm originally from Slovakia, I was born there. and. Uh, Back in the high school, I tried to practice Buddhism, but it didn't work out. And uh, right now, I have a huge stack of books on my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the beginner's mind is in my, in my virtual basket, so I need to purchase that. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the way. <laughs> What's your name? Yana. Yana. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Good morning, uh, and. Uh, I was lucky to be part of a group who went out to California this summer to, to see Joe's practice place and get to know the, the amazing places of your training. And, and to one of the, you were 
Uh, one of the wonderful experiences we had was to go at Tassajar, it's in a mountain valley. There's a, a, a memorial mm. place for Suzuki Roshi, mm. a kind of a winding path and on top of the hill. And one of the uh, surprising things was that there was also a memorial for the translator Zen mind, yes. mind uh, and how that translation uh, uh, was so uh, of a collaboration, I think, between Suzuki Roshi and his um, translator to put some of the ideas into that book, which also was the first book that I ever read in Zen in college. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just to remember that uh, hot summer day and sort of a dusty time with a small group um, uh, acknowledging that amazing um, uh, translation, communication of these ideas in a, in a broad way um, is something that I'm happy to share. Hi, my name is Baikyo, and um, I'm, I'm so glad to be here on this special day. I, I um, was thinking earlier about how it was that he, that Suzuki Roshi uh, managed to, in the last 12 years of his life in the United States, since he was in 59 71, um, do so much since he lasted so long, you know, in uh, so many ways. And it's, it, it, I, I don't know, I don't, I sure don't know. It's magic when I think about it. Um, but this morning when we ch were chanting in Japanese, I, um, I thought it was wonderful because my mind went to the time when they were, in that 12-year period, when he was teaching his, just starting to teach his Americans, I just know this from reading the biography. Um, you know, they were, that's what they did. He, I mean, he spoke English, but they did their, chanting in Japanese and the Americans wouldn't have known. It's like we didn't know what we were saying this morning. It must have sounded a lot like what we just did, um, where we were we were doing our best right here in the circle. <laughs> and um, and they were from what I read, they were sitting in um, you know university classrooms I and mean, they didn't walk right into Tassahara during that that 12 years they were in you know at Berkeley or community college or wherever they, you know, he was teaching and then there was a place called uh, Sokoji which was not um, what became San Francisco Zen Center but it was an, um, an interim place where they were and, um, and but it must have sounded like what we had so I felt like we embodied those some of those years and it was, I thought it was great so thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> Ken Hong, um, I just want to say first of all, the altar looks particularly beautiful, and I guess it's because we don't have the altar cloth, which actually makes me very happy because there's something about the naturalness of the wood this morning and the picture um, that was really helpful for me personally. So I just want to say that one. it's really beautiful. Um, and Setetsu, yeah, I was thinking about Tassahara too. I was actually, I don't know, there's something 
lately that keeps coming up for me about the bathhouse. And I, I felt really connected to Suzuki Roshi at the bathhouse. There was something about the process of um, having that be a place of reverence. You know, you bow before you go into the bathhouse. Um, and then sinking into this mineral spring that is just so um, inviting. And I, I don't know, there's something in there for me about his, his teaching, about just kind of taking care of the body, taking care of what needs to be taken care of, and, and doing that with um, both a sense of purpose and a really deep sense of, of relaxation. That was just like, I don't know, I really felt that there. I felt it even more than um, the ceremony there in some ways and then today I'm really feeling the ceremony because it feels really intimate and it feels really special to be here with all of you. Hello Christine, you're up on the top corner there. Hi. Hi, good morning. Uh, when we started to chant, I was flustering around trying to find the page in my book and I couldn't and I started to get uh, you know, rattled. And then I thought to myself, you're not going to find it. So stop thrashing around. And I just listened deeply to you all chanting and this amazing flock of birds flew past my window. There were literally a hundred birds and it literally felt like they were flying through my heart. They all landed in a tree and I just sat there and felt this incredible moment. And, um, I feel so connected this morning. Um, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind was the first book that I read about Zen. I found it in a thrift shop um, in January of 2021. And um, just thinking back on the opportunity to be at Tassajara and to be part of this lineage um, is absolutely amazing to me. And um, I'm filled with gratitude and, and love um, for, for all that is unfolding. And I just wanted to hold up this picture that I got of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I really love this picture because he looks so strong and also so incredibly welcoming. And that's how I feel about uh, his presence in my life and um, my life unfolding. Deep gratitude. Thank you, Christine. John, hi, John. Good morning. So, sometime in the 1970s, I was looking at a Time magazine. And they had a picture of a bunch of people sitting cross-legged with shaved heads. And it said, this is the first Zen monastery in America. Well, that was cool. <laughs> kind of exotic. <laughs> kind of forbidding. But here we are. Yep. Thank you. Julia. Hello. Um, yeah, last Thursday in class, there was an example from the book 
how who was it suzuki roshi that a student asked like why do you talk in such a confusing way yes um well that's how (laughs) i relate to that um (laughs) but and he was like well i have to to get you out of the the way that you normally think so i'm still working on you know expanding my mind in that way but I thought that it was cool how you said that um, without him, we wouldn't be together. So I appreciated that. Thank you. Julia, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Boy, you're getting better at talking. I mean, in the old days, it was like introvert, introvert. (laughs) I just want to say just two little things. Mostly, just thank you for bringing Suzuki Roshi to life, keeping him alive, you know, honoring his memory. It's interesting, Seitetsu, what you said. Trudy Dixon didn't technically translate his book because he spoke in English, but she transcribed it and edited it. And Marion Derby was also involved in that, the two of them. Uh, but it's an interesting thing about translation. It's not just from one language to another, like Japanese to English. Because I feel like <coughs> part of my job is translating, like through the body, my experience at Tassahara and with monastic training. <clears throat> but at the same time, I don't feel like there's something I experience that I'm then translating. It's not so specific. But there is something, you know, about that. In translation, transmission. And then also, um, you know, I, it's interesting because I think it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Charlotte's going to be interviewing us at tea. I hope you'll be able to stay, everybody, to have some tea. We're going to do some soju so that we can make the tea and make a pot of coffee. I hope you guys preloaded it. You can just press go. Yay, thank you. And um, we have food too. And have some snacks so we could talk. And, and then Charlotte, and, and if you're okay with this, Charlotte's going to talk with us about women in Buddhism. And the one thing I want to say about that is, Brent, your comment. I do feel that women, and I feel like I'm one of them, you know, one of the shadows of. Suzuki Roshi is precisely, I'm not sure how well he took care of his body, actually. And his wife, David Chadwick, quotes him, quotes her as saying, he was a very good priest, but he was a bad husband. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, but it's also tragic. Because, and I'm, I'm on this edge too. I am on this edge too. Um, of... Suzuki Roshi was so devoted to his students, to his Sangha, to practitioners, to transmitting the way that he, he, he died sooner than he might have if he hadn't. I used that, that, those words earlier. He did it as fast as he could. I mean, you couldn't tell it. It's not like Kinman was fast or anything like that, but he didn't stop working. I think about this, about having a personal life. <laughs> He was always going and like moving rocks. He would move rocks at Tazahara just to be with his students, to show through his body a certain way of wholeheartedness. 
But, and his wife would say, you know, she knew she was going to lose him sooner as a husband because of his, he chose his students over his wife and his children. So that's a shadowy part. That, and I'm, I'm not saying he was wrong. And I'm not meaning to, I am not meaning to speak him of the dead. This is not like a Kissinger moment, okay? <laughs> um, it's more just like, as Chise said, this goes on and on and on. It's our job to keep refining. That's how we honor Suzuki Roshi. So it's not disparaging him. He passed the baton. And so what's the opportunity with us? Women. <laughs> to contribute here to the ongoing walking. All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your practice. We're going to stand and offer uh, three full bows and enchanting the Holy Refugees, <clears throat> which is in your little car. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.